morning. It's good to see all of you out this morning, and we're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning, I actually forgot to change the title on the sermon notes, but the title is Worship That Is Worthy. I changed everything else. I even changed the date and all of that. I did really good, except for the title. That's the only thing I missed that I've seen so far. But anyway, uh, we're continuing our lesson series on worship, and, and this is probably one of the best that, that I think that I've picked out as far as a series is concerned. We kind of get into a routine and, and we come and, and we understand, I think, sort of why we're here. But sometimes, at the same time, we lose sort of the meaning of what we're doing. Sometimes we forget. And so it's good to be reminded of why we are here and what we are doing. As I got into this lesson in particular, uh, I realized that I had much more material than what would really fit into one lesson. So this is going to be a two-part lesson, and we'll do the second part tonight. Um, we'll, we'll do about half of it, and then we'll, we'll cut it off and finish it up tonight. Worship that is worthy. We just sang the song, Worthy Art Thou. And certainly we understand that God is worthy of praise. But I think a good question for us to ask is, is the worship that we are offering to God worthy of Him? Is what we're doing today worthy of God? Worthy of, of everything that He has done for us? Uh, are we finding ourselves worthy? You know, obviously, I think we, we, we understand that, that we're not worthy of the things that God has given us. But is our worship what God wants it to be? We have to understand from the very beginning about worship, where it comes from. Worship is created by God. Just as we are His creation, so is worship. Worship is something that is given to us by God. We have within us a nature that wants to worship in some way or another. And those who don't know God or, or are not able to understand who God is, they, they have a desire to worship. You know, we think of, of people in foreign countries that, that they worship things they don't really know what they're worshiping. Even going back to the book of Acts, we, we read of an instance where Paul runs across the, uh, the people and they're, they're worshiping all kinds of foreign gods and idols, but they, they're so superstitious that they, they have an idol to the unknown God because they want to make sure they didn't leave one out, and that was the one they didn't know. We have a desire within us to worship, but do we understand who we're worshiping? Worship comes from God. We read in John chapter 4 and verse 23 that God is seeking true worshipers. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. True Worshippers. Not only does he mention worshipers, but he qualifies that with true worshipers. If God is seeking true worshipers, this implies that there are those who worship, but that are not true worshipers. There are those who worship, 
that do not worship in the way that God wants them to. They do not worship in spirit and in truth. He's not talking about all worshipers. There are many people throughout the world who worship. And even worship the same God that we worship, but are they worshiping in the way that God would define as true worship? As we look at worship and how we view worship today, we understand that there are two different ways of judging worship. There are two different views as to how we might define what is worship. Some will judge worship based on favorable public opinion and personal enjoyment. That's one particular view of judging worship. Well, our worship was great because we had a hundred people here. Well, our worship was great because everybody was, was, was involved and everybody was happy and, and it was just a great day. That's one way of judging worship. And in some ways, I think even we look at that way of judging worship. But is that the way that God wants us to judge worship? You see, there's another standard of judgment when it comes to worship. And this is the judgment that we should have. This is the view that we should have when it comes to worship. Is my worship acceptable to God? As human beings, we, we want to lean toward the former. Well, if everybody is happy, if everybody enjoys the worship, then that makes a good service. And that's part of it. Enjoying being here, that's part of it. I think that's part of Christianity. If we truly love God, then we enjoy serving Him as He wants us to serve Him. But our standard for judging a good, solid worship service should be is in asking the question, is it acceptable to God? That, that, that puts it in a, a totally different realm. When we partook of the Lord's Supper, did we do so in a manner that was pleasing to God? Have our prayers been prayed in such a way that God is pleased with what was said? Uh, was the sermon, was it the truth? Was it the inerrant word of God? Did, did we add to or did we take away? You know, one of the things that my dad does whenever he preaches, I think he still does it. But he, he says that every sermon that he does, he, he begins by reading the passage from Revelation where it talks about adding to and taking away from the word of God. Just to remind was hearing that sermon that we're not to do either one. The Word of God is what we're preaching on. The Word of God is what we're studying and that's what we have to take. But whenever we, we look at our worship do we ever ask that question is it acceptable to God? And we need to ask that question more often than we do. Our lesson objectives for this morning, as we go throughout our lesson, and tonight also, are to learn what truly pleases God in regard to worship. 
And we want to learn how to worship in the way that is acceptable to Him. If we're not worshiping in the way that is pleasing to God, then something needs to change. Because our worship is done in vain. So let's make sure that our worship is worthy of God. Determining the will of God. We need to determine what the will of God is when it comes to our worship. Would God seek true worshipers without telling us what true worship is? Obviously, God's not going to do that. Is it possible that God has left everything up to man to decide whether or not it is pleasing to him? And in that regard, how reliable is man's judgment in the matter? How reliable can we be as far as saying, I think this is what God wants, and knowing that that's exactly what we're giving God? The existence of the Bible is proof in and of itself that man cannot determine for himself the will of God. You cannot determine the will of God. I can't determine the will of God any more than, than some random person off the street. We cannot determine what the will of God is. As human beings, it's impossible for us to look at something, say, this is what God wants, and do it. It's impossible. And still please Him. Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 23 says, Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. When I walk according to the way that I want to walk, I'm going to walk away from God. There's no other way to go. If we want to walk with God, then we have to do so in the way that He has told us to. If we want to worship God, then we do so in the way that He has told us to. It's not up to me to judge and say, this is what God wants. It's up for him to Him to tell me what He wants and for me to do it. That's what worship is all about. Psalm 37, verses 5 and 6. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Man must look to God and His Word to determine what is acceptable to Him. You see, as a human being, I'm fallible. I can make mistakes. Especially if I were to place myself in the position to say, this is what God wants, I'm going to make mistakes. When we look at denominations, it's exactly what happens. That they determine for themselves what they believe the will of God to be, and the worship has been changed into something that God never desired in the first place. We can't do that. As Christians, we look to God's Word. We look to His authority. We do only what God has said, knowing that we are doing His will. If we can't be sure that we're doing the will of God, and it's not based on feeling or anything like that, then, then we have no business doing it.
There are five principles of worthy worship I'm going to give you as far as this lesson is concerned. And this is going to carry over into tonight. I know a couple of these are kind of long, so uh, just bear with me. But there are five basic principles of worthy worship that should be recognized in determining what worship is acceptable to God. These principles are applied in the same way in, in the Christian age that we're in today as they would have been in the patriarchal or the prophetical ages where you had different ways of God delivering His message to His people. But, but all of these apply in the same way that they would have applied in the Old Testament uh, as they do in the New. It, it doesn't change. That, that part of it does not change. Principle number one. God is the exclusive object of worship. When we come to worship God, we come for no other reason than to worship Him. Any other reason outside of that is not worthy worship. When we look at worship and what God wants, we understand that there are to be no other gods before Him. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament, to the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations, to those who hate me, of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me, and keep my commandments. Let's look at idolatry. What is the purpose of idolatry? What's the purpose of making idols? The reason that people made idols was to worship them. They wanted something to worship. And so they made idols. Well, we see even after this in Exodus 32 where Moses goes, he's on the mountain and he comes back and finds that, that Aaron and the people have made for themselves a golden calf. The purpose of which was to worship. And Aaron told him, This is the, the God that brought you out of Egyptian bondage. That was the purpose. But this was not to be the case with God's people. He told them not to make idols. He told them not to have any other gods before him. None of the gods of the other nations could take the place of the true God in worship. So what God wants is worship that is focused only on Him. No other gods, no other idols, nothing else but God. 
the God of the Bible. Based on this principle, there are those that refuse to be worshipped. Let's look at the example of Peter and Cornelius. In Acts chapter 10, verses 25 and 26. Acts 10, verse 25. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. He didn't allow Cornelius to worship him. He wasn't the one to be worshipped. We look at the example of the angel and John in Revelation chapter 28, verses 8 and 9. Revelation 22 and verse 8. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Both John and Cornelius, as man, felt that they should worship someone other than God. Even in John's case, he saw an angel, and you would think that, that the angels would be something to be worshipped, but no. Angel said, I'm a fellow servant, you worship God. Both men were wrong and quickly corrected in regard to their desire to worship someone other than God. Now I would dare say that none of us would physically bow down to an idol. And you probably don't know of anyone that, that would physically bow down to an idol. But I can assure you that idolatry does exist today. Ephesians 5 and verse 5 says this, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Colossians 3 and verse 5 reads very much like Ephesians 5, 5. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Therefore put to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, there's a level of idolatry that we don't usually recognize. But it's clearly stated in Scripture. Notice how these things, two things are qualified here. Covetous man who is an idolater. Ephesians 5 and verse 5. Colossians 3, 5. Covetousness which is idolatry. You see, idolatry goes back to covetousness. Now, do you know of anybody that has coveted something? That has desired something that does not belong to them? Covetousness leads to idolatry. It is idolatry. 
as far as these two definitions are concerned, these two verses, define it. How so? How, how does covetousness equal idolatry? Well, let's look a little deeper. Worship of idols exists through greed or covetousness. You see, greed and covetousness lead us into what we might recognize as self-worship. Whenever I desire something that does not belong to me, then I have become the one that I please. Not God. My, my attention is, is no longer focused on doing things in the way that God wants me to do them, but now the attention is focused to myself. How can I get what I want? So, this covetousness, this greed, leads to self-worship. And this worship is not at all what God desires of us. And that's the view that a lot of people have when they come to worship God. They're actually coming to fulfill their own desires. Even if they think they're coming to worship God, they're coming to fulfill their own desires. And that's why we end up with worship that is based on feeling. It's based on uh, emotion. It's based on what I gain from the service, not so much what God gets from me. And that's not the worship that God wants. That's not the worship that God is pleased with. But it's because of greed and covetousness within myself. Whenever I allow myself to take over and take what I want, then I'm not giving to God what He wants. It's as simple as that. This is not the worship that God desires of us. And we need to remember those of the Old Testament. And the things that are written in the Old Testament are written for our learning. What happened to the Israelites? We understand from the book of Amos, chapter 5, that the Israelites didn't fail to worship God. They didn't fail to offer Him sacrifices. That wasn't their problem. But their worship in the wilderness was deemed unacceptable to God. Amos chapter 5 and verse 25. Amos chapter 5 verse 25. Do you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You also carried to Sukkoth your king, and Shayun your idols, the star of your gods, which you made for yourselves. Therefore, I will send you into captivity beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Yes, they offered sacrifices to God, but they also carried with them their own idols. That was their main problem. And because of their futile sacrifices, Israel was allowed once again to be taken captive by Babylon, as we read in Acts chapter 7 and verse 43. 
And, and here in what we're reading in Amos, Israel was also called to remember these things because this idolatry continued. It hadn't stopped even up until the point of, of what Amos is writing here. The idolatry had continued. And so they were to remember that this, the sacrifices that they had offered before were not pleasing to God and even now the sacrifices that they're offering are still not pleasing to God. It doesn't matter how often we attend services or how much we participate in the services if we continue worshiping other gods. Now, is there something else that, that may be coming between you and God? Is there something else that you're serving, whether it be yourself or whether it be other people, but it's not God, and then you come to services and try to offer a sacrifice to God, is He going to accept it? No. It doesn't matter what it is, but if it's not God, then, it, then, then your worship is in vain. That's what he's saying. There is to be no other object of worship other than God. So, so many people, they, they seek to, to offer sacrifices, but it all boils down to, to how they feel about it and what they think God is pleased with. That's not what God wants. Uh, when we, we do, do things in the world that, that serve someone else other than God, that's not what God wants. Some people think that, that because they come to services often that, that that qualifies true worship and that's not what God wants. So anytime that we place anyone or anything as an object of worship in our lives, that's not what God wants. That's not true worship. We have to be fully aware of that. I'm going to try to squeeze in one more point and then we'll stop. The principle number two. God must be worshipped for the right reasons. You see, if we're not worshipping for the reason that God wants us to. Our worship is also not worthy of Him. God is at all times to be the central focus of our worship. Anyone or anything that replaces God as the central focus of worship has already determined for the worshiper that such worship will not be true. The only true reason to be here to worship God is to glorify and honor God. We've already talked about having no other gods before Him. And even if it comes to, to even ourselves, we, we can't place ourselves and our own pleasure before God's. But if you're here for any other reason than to glorify and honor God, then you're here for the wrong reason. Any other motive for worship, personal gain or reward, is the main idea here. Though it may achieve its goal, is not pleasing to God. So even if we're coming for the purpose of making me happy, 
or trying to justify myself in the sight of God. If I'm coming for any other reason than to worship God, then I'm coming for the wrong reason. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 7, Jesus talked about prayer and what God desired in prayer. And we see here basically the worship of what he terms as the hypocrites. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. That was their purpose. Okay? Their purpose in prayer was not to be pleasing to God. But their purpose was to stand out on the street corners and be seen by men. Let me show you how I pray. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. And in verse 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, Pray to the Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And does he mean that's the only time to pray? No, obviously not. We pray together and that's a good thing. Sometimes it's, it's very encouraging for us to pray with one another. I had a friend that, that we did that quite a, a bit uh, when I worked with her. If she was facing something or I was facing something that, that was difficult, we'd go pray. Just, just the two of us, but we would go to pray together. And that was very encouraging uh, on both ends, I believe. But our purpose is not to be seen. I sing loud. You know that. But I don't sing with the purpose of people hearing me in mind. I, I just get carried away sometimes, maybe, but... But, but if you're here to be, be heard in how you sing or, or, or to pray the most beautiful prayer and be recognized for it, then your worship is not what God wants. You see, the motive of the hypocrites was to be seen by men. That wasn't to be the case. They would achieve their desired goal. Now, you can go out on the street corner and pray just as loudly as you want to and you can achieve your goal. To be seen by men. But does that constitute biblical worship? No, it doesn't. So even though it achieved its desired goal, their worship was still in vain. God must be worshipped for the right reason or your worship is not true worship. We've got three more points to go. We'll stop. And pick up with these tonight. But I hope that you understand that, that even though we worship, maybe our worship achieves the goal that we desire it to. That still doesn't make it true worship. Our worship needs to be worthy of God. And in the two principles that we've looked at, we, we can't put anything ahead of God. We can't put anyone ahead of God. There would be no other gods before Him. He is to be the object of our worship. And we need to worship for the right reason. I don't know why you're here. 
I believe I know why you're here. But I don't know for sure why you're here. Maybe deep down you realize that, that maybe your motive in coming here today was not the motive that you should have. Maybe you realize that, that in your life there's something that, that's just not right that may be hindering your worship, may be hindering your prayers. That's possible. I don't know where you stand before God. But I do know that there's only one way to be pleasing to God. And that's to be faithful. Maybe you need to begin your faithfulness by becoming a Christian. By obeying the gospel through faith, hearing and belief. Repentance. Confession of Christ. Baptism for the remission of your sins. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you've realized for a long time that's what you need to do, but you need to take care of that need. And if that is your need, then we're, we're glad to help you in that way. Maybe your need is, is the need of repentance. Maybe you've become a Christian, but you've not been faithful to God. Maybe for some time you realize that, but you have yet to have the courage to admit it. If your worship is not worthy of God today, because you're not a faithful child of God. Maybe you need to return to His fold, ask for, for prayers on your behalf, or for forgiveness for something that you've done. But whatever your need is, if you need to come, we offer you the opportunity, whether it be in obedience or repentance. We love you, we care for you. If you need to come, please do so as we stand and as we sing.